This is the Reluctant Leader podcast, brought to you by the Reluctant Leader Academy. I'm your host, Mark Terrell, and in each episode, I will invite an expert guest to discuss a topic or subject that will enhance your knowledge and hopefully inspire you on your leadership journey. If managing people is becoming your biggest headache, then check out the How to Lead Your Team with Confidence course and join the next group program starting soon. So let's see who's in the hot seat today. Today, I'm talking to Bryony Thomas. Bryony is the creator of the multi-award winning watertight marketing methodology captured in the best-selling book of the same name. Designed and refined over 10 years and 2,000 plus organizations, the unique process guides businesses that want to step up to build a marketing operation that underpins sustainable sales success. Bryony combines her decades experience on brands such as Microsoft, Dell and Experian with a further decade adapting this to growing businesses into a refreshing and practical toolkit. Hope you enjoy this chat we had about watertight marketing and I'll catch you all on the other side. Bryony, welcome to the Reluctant Leader podcast. Thank you for having me, looking forward to it. Yes, well, I am as, as, as well. I've been following what you do uh, for a long time, uh, I think uh, Watertight Marketing was the first marketing book I ever read. Um, but, oh, um, good one to start with. <laughs> yes, well, I, I, I think it was probably that I, before that, I didn't really have um, a clear idea of what marketing was. And I was actually um, a, another coach that it me said, read the first four chapters and that's probably what you need. But being an expert in, in motivational terms, I like to get the whole gist and I end up reading the whole book. And now, subsequently, got the second book, but we'll get onto that in a in a minute. Um, so, um, what I do with all my guests is, first of all, ask them the pivotal question of why um, why do you do what you do, and what was that pivotal moment that took you down this path? Yeah, so pivotal moment. I can I can pin to a day. Um, it was the fourteenth of July, uh, two thousand and eight. And um, I got up at 4.30 in the morning, which I did quite regularly because I was essentially commuting from Bristol to Nottingham, where I was director of marketing within a division of Experian, um, the the large FTSE 100 that most people know of for credit referencing. Um, And so that morning I got up at 4.30, I'd driven up to Nottingham and I was meeting my new boss. And uh, he went around the table and the whole team and he was, you know, welcoming everybody and um, crediting their their strategic input to the team. Um, And he got to me last and he said, um, Brian, you can do the colouring in. (laughs) And uh, and what he didn't know was that I'd been approached for his job and turned it down. Um, I I didn't fancy the job. And in that moment, when he was quite disparaging to to my strategic input, I, um, uh, I swore at him which is the second time in my professional life I've ever done such a thing. I'm normally quite a good girl. Uh, and um, told him what he could do with his job um, and drove home again. And by the time I got home, my, my resignation had been announced, um, which was interesting. So, uh, so I can take it to a day. And it was literally the moment when I sat there and I thought I didn't even want his job. You know, I didn't even want the promotion in this company. Um, what am I doing? 
what am I doing? Um, I'm, so um, having had brilliant relationships with my previous my previous bosses and done some really fantastic stuff, I just thought, you know, I'm going to do something else. So having recently taken on a mortgage commensurate with my corporate salary and my husband having taken some time out to find himself um, and therefore not contributing to our, our family coffers, um, I found myself without a job with a huge mortgage and um, setting up on my own. Uh, so that was 2008, great time to start a business. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so there we go, my pivotal moment, 14th of July, 2008. Sounds like the perfect opportunity. Why, why wouldn't you have done it? <laughs> well, exactly. And that's the thing. So I didn't want to progress within that organisation anyway. So why was I, why was I still there? Um, and I think anyone who feels that like they're not progressing and they're not truly enjoying what they're doing really ought to leave um, and probably shouldn't swear at anybody on the way out. Um, but I, uh, it was just a moment where I thought, what am I doing here? <laughs> yes. And I think it's a moment that a lot of people have, but, uh, a lot of people don't have the guts to actually go and, uh, do something else. And, but from talking to a lot of people about the, those pivotal moments, it's tends to be that you're just, um, either pushed to a point where there is no other option or that, that you basically have been basically shoved in that direction and it's basically you've got to get on with it somehow so um so yes um so we're going to be talking about uh, marketing and particularly about water type marketing which is your um your book and methodology method i can't even say it so i won't say it again um so what at what point did you start to think about what that next step was after you you, you handed your resignation in what, what was the first thing you did well, I was, um, I'd always thought that I would set up, do something on, on my own. Um, you know, I always thought I'd do my own thing. I, I only really got sidetracked into the corporate job. It was never, um, it was never an intentional move. So I could, I'd say that I can trace the, the kernels of the watertight marketing methodology through every job I've ever had, back to when I was doing charity fundraising as a 19-year-old, um, all the way all the way through my career. Each job, I can kind of look at either a key project or the way that I approach things um, and see that there's an element of um, what became watertight marketing. But then when I, when I set up on my own, I was speaking a lot locally around the Bristol business network, um, to promote my business. And again, I can give you a date. Um, 22nd of October, um, 2009 is the first time that I did a presentation where I talked about buckets, funnels and taps, which is a core metaphor within the Waterstock Marketing book. And um, it was the Bristol and Bath Marketing Network above the bar at the Southern Lettuce in Bath. Um, and I did a presentation essentially on what is marketing, which is how you came to the book. And I uh, kind of dissected the marketing funnel and separated it into the bucket funnels and taps. So um, watertight marketing as a as the you know the whole set of frameworks and analogies that people are familiar with today was born on the twenty second of October two thousand and nine in Bath. Right, excellent. And so the next step was. I'm remembering the dates today. Yeah, it's, it's very <laughs> impressive. I don't think I'm, I'm not very good with dates, but obviously I don't know what that says about me or you really. But uh, um, so that's the, so the next step was then to start to market that. And I think from what I've seen you talk about things, you had an idea of a person that you um, had that you wanted to basically talk to. Um, My muse. Yes. Um, yes. And, and so, so that's where most people need to start, where their ideal client is. But as we know, um, 
what we expect to happen doesn't exactly happen because of various different reasons. And I think it's worth talking about that because I've heard you talk about it a few times. Yeah, so the reason the kind of talks became a book um, is because I was drawing all the same pictures and saying all the same things and we were turning business down at three to one. So I decided to write it down mm-hmm. that they could at least have a book. Um, and as you say, as I was writing the book, I actually had pinned up a, a photo of um, a, a real person. In fact, his name is Patrick Nash. He was then the chief executive of a client of mine called Connect Assist. Um, they were a £2 million business um, in Cardiff, a, a contact centre business. And I thought if I can explain it to Patrick, then I know that I would have explained it in a way that's appropriate to the audience I want to reach. Um, but interesting, so, you know, £2 million business, a, a, a successful seven figure business which is a classic um client for me and, and still is although however over the last you know 10 years um in the time well 11 years so, um, since I've been kind of talking through um all of my theories and frameworks the language has really changed and so when I said small business in 2009 most people imagined a seven-figure business um, and these days, when I say the word small business, they imagine a solo entrepreneur working from their kitchen table. You know, the, the words are the same, but the meaning has changed. Um, and so, you know, in, in the time when I've been in business, I've had to adapt my language to stay, you know, to stay true to the, to the client base that I work with as kind of for my coaching and my hands-on consulting. It's still those seven and eight figure businesses. And then I've had to create, because I've kind of built up an audience of micro businesses as well, kind of accidentally because of this language shift. Um, We now have an online offering um, for them, which makes it obviously far more um, manageable and and affordable um, in that context. Yes. And, and um, I guess that's the way, you know, the entrepreneurial um, boom is happening and it's adapting to that. And um, obviously, uh, as I've I've explained, um, reading your book was the first time I thought about marketing, but, uh, as coming from a retail background, I was very much in the advertising mindset. And I think yeah. it's worth sort of think um, just um, talking about the difference between marketing and advertising. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've got a, yeah. a view on that. Yeah, well, advertising is a marketing technique. Um, it's one of the very many techniques that one might decide to use as part of a wider mix of marketing techniques in order to create a full path to purchase. And so um, for me, the de- definition of marketing is um, is helping somebody through to a buying decision with which they remain happy, even if that's not to buy from you, by the way. Um, so marketing is the process of supporting somebody through to a buying decision with which they remain happy. Specifically, it's about the tools that one uses along that path to purchase. Now, I often use the analogy of marketing being like stealing your neighbor's cat um, that you put out a trail of biscuits over time and you slowly encourage them forward. And, you know, you don't kind of put them on a lead and drag them through a hedge and lock them in because they'll be straight out the back door the moment there's a, you know, the moment they've got a chance that you win their loyalty slowly over time. Now, the difference between sales and marketing in that, which I know not what you asked, but it's what's in my head, um, is that marketing's like the, the biscuit trail and the toys, and sales is the person dangling the, the little mousy on the end of the stick. Um, so marketing is the tool and sales are the skills. Now, advertising in that 
is probably the first little bit of biscuit, the first little bit that they sniff. It's that awareness piece. And then moving on from that, you would use a different technique. And moving on from that, you would use a different technique. And so advertising is an awareness driving activity within a full path to purchase, but you need a whole sequence of tools to get somebody to walk that whole path. Yes, uh, and I, I did wonder how long it would take um, to you, for you to mention cats because uh, I know it's one of your f- favourite analogies. How long have it taken? <laughs> ten minutes. Ten minutes. Um, and so, the, and the other things that you've already mentioned, um, and which obviously goes in in line with that, is the buckets, funnels, and taps. So, yes. do you want to just uh, uh, um, just explain how those three elements sort of fit in with what you just um, yeah. explained? So my um, my editor, when I when I sent the uh, draft of the first edition to the editor, he said uh, it was the most complete and accurate manuscript I'd ever seen. But I had a serious mixed metaphor habit, um, and so we'll just put the cats to one side for a moment. Um, so the 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 analogy around the buckets, funnels, and taps is to take that path to purchase. So from someone not knowing who you are to being a raving fan, and the steps in between, and to break it into three areas. The first being your bucket. And if you have a hole in your bucket, there is no point in running a tap because it will go straight out of the bottom. And so you first create a watertight bucket. You then create some funnels and filters rather than direct putting taps on straight away. Because the problem with taps, like advertising, is that the advertising, um, kind of the, the publication or whatever, own the tap. Yeah, you have to pay for that tap. And so if you've got taps running all over running all over the place, you are literally running around with your bucket like a you know, like a mad thing, desperately trying to to get all these little trickles of awareness. So you have to do your bucket first, then you put in funnels and filters, which is which will channel that interest to your bucket. And filters are just as important. Not every customer is a customer you want. Um, and then finally you do taps. So it kind of gives you a sequence. You do your bucket first. You do your funnels and filters, and lastly, you do your taps. Because what most people do is they do awareness first because it's the first thing people see. They kind of imagine the customer journey forwards, and so they build it forwards. Um, Whereas actually, you need to map it forwards so that you understand what the journey is, but build it backwards. Otherwise, um, you end up creating the first few steps, and then people drop through a um, a hole in your pathway. Yeah, uh, and then it makes sense when you explain it like that because you know we're all going mad advertising, getting people coming towards us. But like you say, if we're not ready for them and they haven't actually, and there's not a sort of process to filter them like you've described, and so they're the, the ideal client for you, then ultimately all you're getting is just a deluge of maybe um, you know just people that actually aren't qualified. So ra- uh, a random mishmash, so that, and and even if it's not a deluge, so even if you've got a little trickle here and there. The, the mm. problem with um, awareness stuff is that by its very nature, you have to go to it. You know, so uh, awareness is created on LinkedIn or on Twitter. Or so, so on on these platforms over which you have some but not complete control. And so you're running to their tune. Um, you're dancing to their tune. And so, um, you know, if you've got a small bucket and, you know, a number of taps, you are frenetically busy, probably gathering a little trickle of interest um, whereas if you've got some really good funnels and filters in place then you can combine that trickle into something more sustainable and and choose the right things for you Brilliant stuff um so i was you've um i've already mentioned that you've just um brought out your second edition of mortal type marketing which was the book you first wrote uh, i think it's yeah. worth you maybe mentioning 
um, what's changed um, between the two editions? Yeah, sure. Um, well, first of all, I've kind of worked very hard on the language. As I've said, the language shifted over time and made it really clear what different types of reader will get from the book, um, what the micro business owner might get, as opposed to the chief exec of an eight-figure business might get from the reading the book. Um, so, you know, that's much, much clearer. Um, the other thing that I've done is watertight marketing is a go-to-market strategy, which means that it, it's based on the assumption that you know what you're selling to whom um, and that assumption isn't always true um, of readers and so I've now added two little mini sections um, which is who are you speaking to and what are you selling them um, to help people to articulate that ideal client and to articulate their proposition um, so those are two new sections um, We've got a, a couple of key new frameworks, uh, one called the Time Data Money Exchange, um, which helps people picture the value exchange across a buying decision. It's, it's, it's one of my favorites. Um, and the other is the Purpose Profit Matrix, which helps you to really understand those filters um, and how to really uh, kind of zoom in and focus on clients that fill your soul and your bank balance. Um, and it's, it's also uh, part three has been completely um, rewritten. There are um, 42 really proven, fleshed out um, marketing techniques that you can map to um, where you specifically have an issue that you can dive into and put into practice for your business. Yes. And I think um, I, I presume that over that time um, in 10 years or so, or 12 years, I suppose, since the first um, edition, um, what we've seen is uh, obviously the internet has become more and more of an influence on everything. And I've, I've, I've come across it a few times about the, the Google's um, zero moment of truth thing where most people, when they're making a purchase these days, have done a certain amount of um, um, it, um, what's yeah, the word? Yeah. yeah, so they've already got a certain amount of information. It's like when you buy a car now, you don't just go to the dealer. You've actually, you've researched, you found out roughly what the price of the car is, what you get for your money, then you go there. So that's, that's obviously helps things in some way, but also um, we need to adapt, don't we, to, um, and you've talked about the time, data, money thing. It's understanding where that fits in. Yeah, it's absolutely, I mean, it's critical. And mm -hmm. I think it's also, um, I mean, it's always been true. It's just faster and faster. You know, people have always done that research, whether it's having a chat with their mates down the pub um, or whether it's, you know, pouring over TripAdvisor reviews uh, as it is now. But the same, that it fulfills the same need, if you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, asking your friends down the pub is ticking the same psychological requirements as pouring over TripAdvisor reviews. Um, so it's, which is social proof. The, the the key um, the key thing about the internet stuff, to my mind, is not to get tied up with it being revolutionary, but to understand the the buying psychology behind that because psychology hasn't changed. Human evolution doesn't move as fast as the as the internet changes, and so providing you can understand um, how people buy what what psychologically they're trying to achieve by the actions that they're taking online and offline, then you're able to map the right tool to the task. Um, and I think people get a little bit um, bound up and you know trip over themselves by thinking it's all revolutionary and new, but it just isn't. Yes, it just I, isn't. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, I get that. It's well well explained. And I think um, I've been involved with uh, the um, the book launch, and you've been doing some one hour sessions on each uh, one of the uh, chapters. And I remember you talking about a scenario where you had to justify your budget. Um, you were, I think, you, you went there, and it looked like your budget has basically been um, taken away from you. But then, after um, talking about the, the six reasons for for uh, marketing, you then managed to increase your budget by twenty percent. I think that's uh, quite uh, a good thing to share. And yeah, it's brilliant. So it's it's the it's the process laid out in chapter nine, the budgeting chapter, mm-hmm. where you create a visual snapshot of um, the kind of strategic intent of your marketing. So essentially, what you do is you uh, break out all of your marketing techniques and you apportion. Um, across a buying decision, how that marketing expenditure is um, kind of influencing the way that people move through their buying decision. And it gets you to a a visual snapshot of how your money's being spent strategically. Um, And yeah, so there was a a chap had been brought into the organisation where I was working and and I knew he was on a budget cutting remit. um, And marketing's always the go-to budget for cuts, not because um, that's the right thing to do. It's just the easy thing to do. Um, and so getting ahead of the curve, I thought, I'm, you know, I'm going to call a board meeting and do a, a half year review. And I came up with this visual budgeting technique um, and I went in with full expectation of having the budget halved. I knew that was what he had in his sights um, and, and left with a 20 percent increase and a fantastic recommendation on LinkedIn, which uh, I think says something along the lines of I thought I understood marketing and then I met Bryony. Um so, yeah, it, it was great. So, uh, chapter nine on budgeting. Um, and if you're in a much smaller business, then you can do you can do the same process, but look at the time that you spend um, on your marketing activity, or you can do a combination of time and money. Um, yeah, and, and I think for me, um, it was um, something I really needed to hear. Uh, and, and, and even though I'd re- read the book, it hadn't really dawned on me what that meant. But actually, what we're talking about here is, there are different reasons to spend money or spend time on marketing. Um, we're talking about those six uh, points from awareness through to loyalty. I, I think it's probably worth just um, going through what they are. Yeah, so this is from a Philip Kotler model, um, which he came up with in 1959. So I'm not mm. claiming novelty or ownership. Mm. Um, it's it's called the model of rational decision making. I think it's a great model of decision making. I'm not sure it's rational. Um, <laughs> it goes awareness interest, evaluation, trial, adoption, loyalty. So awareness is where they notice you. And I say the task there is to, to be there so that they can see you um, at interest. Um, the, you need to um, be relevant uh, and the task there, you know, so, so that they can like what they see or they're curious about what they see. At evaluation, I say you need to be proven. Um, that's when they're sussing you out. At um, trial, you need to be helpful. That's when they're trying it out and you need to be ridiculously helpful. At adoption, that's when they're coming on board with you as a client um, in the first instance is when they've got their first paid um, activity and they're trying on the label happy customer. Um, and there you need to be really friendly. Um, a process of adoption is kind of taking on as if it were one's own. And then um, the last one, which is loyalty, um, I say there that you need to be consistent. Um, You need to be consistently there, relevant, proven, helpful and friendly, um, consistent to the promises you made and consistent to the style of interaction um, that you've set up. So those those are the six steps. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I shared with you in that uh, book club uh, session around um, somebody that was in a, another Zoom call saying that I don't actually do any uh, marketing, but actually what it turned out to be, you know, what she did was she concentrated on that last bit, that loyalty, um, yeah. which um, obviously made sure that she didn't uh, lose any clients or uh, very, very few but also they may, became raving fans, so they recommended her. So um, by concentrating on that loyalty factor, actually she was inadvertently, because she didn't actually regard it as marketing, um, was actually creating you know, her ideal funnel. Absolutely. And yeah. it's the very best marketing you can do. And it's one of the key, you know, it's one of the key premises of Watertight, which is that you you do that first. You do the bucket first, you do the loyalty first. Um, and so as as you rightly say, sometimes people go through this process and say, Oh, I didn't think I was doing any marketing. Oh, look, I am. And they feel, you know, they feel much better about themselves that they are resourcing their business, you know, better than they thought they were. Yeah, yeah. And you've already mentioned the how easy it is to cut marketing budgets. It seems to be the easiest thing or the first thing people look at because they, I don't know why it is really, because you, you think, well, if I cut the marketing budget, that means that I'm going to have less leads and ultimately that's going to lead to less sales eventually. But it is a weird one. But, uh, but I was ask you, we don't link those two things. So there's right. marketing and training are the two budgets that always go. And it's because the impact of both is a lag. Um, so there's, mm. it's not immediate, you know, the effect is delayed, um, as is training. The effect of training is delayed, isn't it? It's cumulative and, and, and over time. And so because you can't immediately point A to B, um, then it's mm. a, it's a classic go-to cut budget when you're not thinking strategically. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I guess that, um, one of the, the ways to get over that is actually try to get more people engaged in, uh, marketing and, and creating content. Is that something that you would encourage? I would, uh, providing that initially they've at least got the the concept of what marketing is. So, providing they've read chapter one and two of Watertight Marketing, um, uh, then and and got it and understood it and um, you know got the the concept that marketing is supporting that whole buying decision, then they should get involved because otherwise um, people get very easily um, distracted on shiny things. Uh, particularly shiny things that generate awareness um, rather than um, substance that generates conversions. Um, so uh, providing it, it's set in context, yes, but I think content creation without context is usually pretty rubbish. Yes, I, 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 and when you were saying that, I was just thinking about LinkedIn and some of the things you see on LinkedIn that people have been obviously been told to be authentic um, but then they've probably taken it a little bit too far in some instances. I'm sure you've seen I'm gonna, some I'm going to go and do my course on being authentic. <laughs> I'm going to overshare on LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they want to see everything about me. Uh, no, we don't. Don't, don't. don't do that, whatever you do. Um, and the only thing I'm, I, I, we've been through pretty much on my list, I, I do a lot of research uh, for obviously because I'm very um, professional in my uh, in my. Um, interviewing um and the thing that's left left on my list is touchpoint link leaks which we haven't really covered uh and it's no, worth cool so again and touchpoint leaks are really cool absolutely so i think it's very worthwhile going through what touchpoint leaks are and why they're important so the touchpoint leaks are introduced in chapter two of watertight marketing and um when i wrote the first book it was based on research across about 200 organizations and essentially what I've done is to work out where most people leave most money on the table. So what were the ways that people were letting themselves down in marketing? Where were the missing pieces in their 
path to purchase. Um, and I aggregated those up and there, there are 13 areas across those six steps that we just talked about. Um, there's three in the bucket, three in the funnels and filters and seven in taps. And um, the touch point links are essentially areas where you don't have a marketing tool that does the job. Um, so if you don't have a tool, then you have a leak. Um, and there's a process called a, a touch point traffic light report. Um, and you go through and you um, you set your leaks to red, amber, green. And it allows you to think of all those things that you could possibly do on marketing because nobody struggles to come up with new ways to spend time or money on marketing. It's knowing which ones that's the problem. Yeah. So all those possible things. And it boils it down into the do it, delay it, ditch it list. Yeah, makes makes sense exactly. And like you say, um, especially with people in a creative um, environment, especially those sort of people, they're going to come up with lots of lots of ideas around what they can do. But the trouble is, if they're not consistent, you have to be consistent in your message, don't you? In some way. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, you have to choose which of those millions of the possible things one could do and there are more each day that mm. actually deserve your attention and then the other is not to dilute your message by butterflying from from one you know one creative idea to another to another to another so because it's like the you know the, the, the oft used analogy in marketing is the lighthouse and it's a good it's a good analogy or a drumbeat or a heartbeat you need that level of consistency Mm -hmm. um, and I, I like the idea of the heartbeat because it's what keeps your business living and thriving. There's a kind of boom, boom rhythm that mm -hmm. you need to keep to. And there's a, the level of creative consistency and message consistency at a regular interval that means that people kind of know what you're about. Brilliant stuff. Well, sadly, Bryony, our time is running out. Um, we tried to sort of keep them to about 30 minutes and we're not a, a couple of minutes away from that. So um, at this point, I tend to ask my guests really to sum up uh, what we've been talking about and give us three top tips that we can take away. Um, so what, what would those three top okay. tips be, do you think? So um, I'll summarise and give a tip. Um, so we talked about the six steps and the buckets, funnels, taps. So my first tip is to turn your marketing upside down. Start with your bucket first. Start with that your existing customers first um, rather than awareness first. Um, the next is talking about touchpoint leaks. So for each of the 13 touchpoint leaks, um, what I say to people is to get something in place that is functional and not too embarrassing, um, rather than going for perfection. Because you can't perfect anything on the first go anyway. You have to put it out into the market and test it and see if it works. But also functional and not too embarrassing makes money. And then you can use that money to step it up and step it up. And it's a much more manageable way of doing it. Um, so don't aim for perfection. And then my uh, my third tip, and it com comes with a, with a reading recommendation, um, is to do one thing at a time. And the, the reading recommendation is the one thing. Um, to, and this is why the touchpoint leaks is so important is because it continually surfaces the next top priority and you should just focus on it, get something in place that's functional, not too embarrassing, and then move on to the next. So turn it upside down, do something functional, not too embarrassing, and do one thing at a time. Fantastic. What a way to finish. Um, thank you so much for your time today, Bryony. I much appreciate it. I'm sure those listening will... Um, I've gained a lot of from from your insights, uh, no doubt. And so, um, I wish you well. I know you're going through a bit of a tough time personally at the moment. So I hope that um, you um, get back and fighting fit. 
sooner rather than later. Thank you, Mark. A pleasure to be here today. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the episode, please take the time to leave a review on your chosen platform and share on social media. Don't forget to check out the Reluctant Leader Academy, where you'll find a free 15 questions every manager should be asking themselves checklist that you can download to keep you on track every day. Leadership is a choice. When you understand the right mindset, know the process to follow and use key skills to keep things moving forward, you'll be on track to leave a lasting legacy. Until next time, be the best you can be and the inspiration for others to follow. Oh,